If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I, I got, got 99 problems, problems, but a bitch ain't one. I got the rap patrol on the cat patrol. Foes that want to make sure my cask is closed. Rap critics save money, cash holes. I'm from the hood, stupid. What type of facts are those? Hello and welcome back to Brain Droppings Podcast. As always, I am your host, Joe Show, taking you through yet another episode here on Brain Droppings Podcast. I got some special news I want to do right off the top. I think it's important to let you know that my little podcast that I started, um, if you've been following along over the course of the last uh, 16, 17, 18 episodes, I'm not sure what we're up to anymore. And they kind of get jumbled because I pack them away and then I work on them and bring them back to you. But some news that I'd like to unpack right off the top is to let you know that uh, this week, which is last week in July of 2019, I got some good news. Apparently, Radio.com has picked up the podcast, as has Stitcher. So you can now find me doing my Brain Droppings podcast across several different uh, outlets, streaming services in which you typically ingest your podcasts over the course of your existence in listening to podcasts. So you can now find me on iTunes, Tune in, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Radio.com. Uh, uh, I know I'm leaving somebody out, but hey, there it is. Oh, did I say iTunes? Go to iTunes, subscribe, listen. You'll get a kick out of some of it. Some of it's just straight BS. Um, I think I'm going to make them a little more edgier now uh, because. I've had some changes both professionally and personally that are kind of, you know, people talking to me, giving me positive feedback, giving me some sort of direction into where I should take the podcast in regards to what they like to listen to and maybe offer you, my audience, my listeners, a little bit more of a window into who I am as an individual and some of the crazy shit that runs through my brain on a daily basis. Um, Today's episode is Perception versus Reality. And it's a really fun topic if you think about it, because how we perceive things versus the reality of a situation, whether we're dealing with, you know, friends, family, coworkers, uh, your employment status, uh, your relationship status, um, any aspect of your existence, your existential existence on this planet has a balance between perception and reality. I'll give you a case in point. I recently pulled my numbers um, at the company that I work for, and my numbers are up 47% year over year over the same six-month period. And when you were to ask the CEO of my company, who is you know fairly involved in, in how things go, if you asked him how I was doing, he'd tell you he was disappointed that I wasn't on plan. But yet he has no concept of where I am at my numbers. So the fact that I'm up, the reality, if you will, that I'm up 47% weighs very, very mildly in his perception of overall performance. Now, is it because he's one of these people that are never happy, never pleased, never going to, you know, give you a high five, a pat on the back, or, you know, a good job? Yeah, that's 97% of it. But the other 3% is that he bases a lot of the decisions that he makes, and he's been successful. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to 
have this come off like I'm dirting, you know, the employer. I'm just talking about the way they perceive things. His He's been guided by perception for at least the last six or seven years of his company's existence versus reality. And it's served him well. Uh, the company does extremely well, and they they will probably continue to do extremely well. But it, it struck me this week when I was thinking about it, like, when you take a look back, how does everybody look at things? I know, you know, I'm a very matter of fact guy. And, you know, here's my first funny story of the the episode. But when I was a kid, now roll this clock back, Jesus Christ, 30 plus years ago. I have no idea what the fucking age was. But when I was going to Sunday school in the Catholic religion in the South Shore of Massachusetts, I was actually booted from Sunday school. And why was I booted? I was booted because from an early age, I've always been a fact based individual. Very little do I base decisions or or thoughts on perception, but almost always on reality and fact. So here I am in Sunday school and, you know, the teacher or the nun is going around the room and she's asking each one of us, you know, our belief or what what are, what is our take on the Bible, because we had just finished reading a child's, a children's version of the Bible. And when it got to me, you know, every other kid in the class is saying, you know, oh, um, the Bible means that it's, you know, and whatever they were giving. I, I have no idea. And I don't want to go down the, the religion road with you tonight because we could do an entire podcast on my belief, which is sanctioned almost exclusively in the movie um stigmata starring patricia arquette if you have a faith within you but you don't subscribe to a particular church's overall ideology well then the movie stigmata is one you should watch it's a very you know i don't know iconic phrase within the the movie where it says um when discussing, you know, the anger of God over churches and the money that they make. And, you know, when you think about the total amount of money that goes into a church and the amount that's budgeted for, you know, the brick and mortar uh, cathedrals and parishes and churches throughout its, its reach, the operating budget is far, far larger than the charitable budget. And to me, that's a skew. And it goes against, if you're a faith-based person, it goes against what the, you know, the core belief structure of your religion is, regardless of your religion, whether it be Hinduism, Buddhism, um, if you're a Muslim, if you're a, a Christian, a Jewish person, it, it doesn't matter. You know, the overwhelming um, common thread between all is charitable giving. And you know, the, the line from the movie, not to get too far off track, but the line in the movie is, lift a stone and I'm there, split a piece of wood and you'll find me. Bottom line, I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. You know, we don't talk often. Um, if you've listened to my podcast, I've kind of alluded to it along the way. I fell out of favor with the church a long time ago. And it's because, again, tying it all back full circle here. Yeah, without sounding too much like a Kevin Nealon character in a Happy Madison production. It's all in the flow, Happy. Feel the flow. It's circular. But no, it's true. I like to bring the point back to the fact that I'm a fact-based person. So, you know, there's really 
very little in the Bible that can be considered true historical record. And I'm not necessarily sure that the Bible was ever created to be that. Was it ever really truly constructed to be a historical record? Or is it more, and this is what got me kicked out of Sunday school at age, I don't know, after communion, before confirmation, um, has it ever truly just been looked at as the greatest collection of short stories or moralities ever made? I mean, if you think about it, the Catholic Church in the the, the Catholic, you know, the, the Catholic version, the King James version of the Bible or whatever it is, I have no idea because I don't pay attention enough to give a shit, to be honest with you. But in whatever version they have, they have handpicked the individual gospels and construction of said Bible and, and put it together. They've left some out. We know that for a fact. We know that the Vatican has unpublished um, gospels that have not been included in the New Testament. That, that alone should be alarm bells to anybody and everybody on the face of the planet before you get way too deep into your religion. You know, ask yourself, you know, what are the, I, I get it, you know, and, and this is the point I'm getting at is the reason I was kicked out of Sunday school was because I, I had no faith. You know, and religion as a whole, regardless of the said religion, and we, we named them all a couple minutes ago, but you have to have or you must take a leap of faith. You have to have faith because you can't hold on to anything that's tangible. There's no tangibleness to it. Um, so, you know, that's a perception and a reality type of thing. I'm very reality-based. You know, if you tell me water's wet, I'm that son of a bitch that has to touch the water to ensure that I feel wetness. You know, if you tell me it's raining outside, I have to look out the window. I just don't take people's word for it. I have to see things, you know, and it's the same like when I'm assembling something. I, I, I'm very methodical. Some say you have an engineering um, uh disposition to your overall personality. Well, I don't give a fuck what you think I have. I just, I have to know things. I have to, I have to see, feel, touch to, to understand. So I can't, I don't identify with people that live in the world of perception. I don't identify with people that, that go off of faith. You know, can we be friends? Well, sure, we can be friends. I'll have a beer with just about anybody. I don't really drink beer anymore, but I'll have a, you know, give me a Jack Single Barrel on the rocks or do it neat. I don't care. I'll, I'll have one of those while you have a couple of beers and we can be absolute friends, but don't expect me to just take your word for something because you said so. I mean, you know, who died and fucking made you God? Why should I listen to you? You know, I, I'm, I'm the keeper of my own thoughts, my own beliefs, and my own interests. So I'm not that interested. I just don't give a fuck what you think. And that does that's not a bad thing. And so much of you know, where we are as a society right now is based on everybody just caring way too much, being way too sensitive, being way too involved in what's, you know, what's going to make the most people happy. And at the end of the day, if you're not happy, if you're not taking steps in your daily life to to source out your happiness, to find your Zen, to, to find your your commonality, your sweet spot, then how the hell can you dish out advice to anybody else? And if you have found your sweet spot, your Zen, your center point in life, who's to say that what 
it took for you to get to that point for yourself is applicable to anybody else. And, you know, case in point, I've, I have this, uh, what's the best way to put it? I have this diet and exercise program that I have put together over the course of the last 10 years. I have used myself as a guinea pig and I I've tried, you know, I tried all of them. I tried South Beach. I tried Atkins. I've tried keto. I'm not overweight, mind you. I've just tried these just to check them out. Um, I've tried calorie restriction. I've tried fat restriction, carb restriction, sugar restriction, high aerobic impact, low aerobic impact, weight training, you name it. I have covered the gamut. And you know what I found out through all of that research? I did find a program that works for me. So when I was being urged by people, because at one point I had ballooned up a little bit, I had sold a company and, you know, kind of went into that honeymoon phase where you just eat your face off because what the fuck you can, you know, you're kind of chilling a little bit now you're in on easy street for a short period of time in your life. And I, I went up, I'm five eleven, almost six feet. I had gone from about 185 pounds up to about 230 pounds and I wasn't comfortable. You know, I started feeling strain on my knees, strain on my back, strain on my joints. And it was, believe it or not, it was actually my uh, oldest son and I were sitting on the couch. Now he's 16. So 10 years ago, he's six and six-year-olds will say the damnedest things apparently. So we're sitting on the couch and it's one of these nights. I want to say it was probably a Sunday watching America's Funniest Home Videos. The Tom Bergeron version, not the... um, I can't even think of his name because I don't watch the show anymore, but the guy that was on uh, Silver Spoons. Um, Was he on Silver Spoons? Oh, Jesus. Alfonso somebody. But anywho, uh, Tom Bergeron version. So we're sitting on the couch. We're watching this show. And my son just snuggles up close to me. He says, Dad, I love you. And at that moment, my heart melts. It's it's my, my oldest son. He's six years old. He's cuddling up to me. He loves me. And I said, I love you too, buddy. And then he looks up at me with these loving, soft, you know, innocent eyes. And he says, you're just so fluffy. Fluffy. My fucking kid called me fluffy at six years old while sitting on the couch with me. Uh, Imagine how that moment went from this encapsulation of of love and and trust and innocence and beauty and everything together to, fuck, I'm fat. So that night I went upstairs after I tucked him in for bed and we know we had a whole ritual and everything. I tuck him in, he goes to bed. I go in my room. I literally strip down naked and jump on a scale. And there it was, you know, I want to say it was like 233 or something like that. 231, 233, something like that. It It was disgusting for me. So with that, I walk out and I had a full length mirror in, the, in our master bedroom. And I look in the mirror and I go, oh my God, you know, for the first time in years, I actually saw me through someone else's eyes. Because let's face it, folks, when you gain weight, when you lose weight, when you, when you diet, exercise, workout, when you do all these things that shape and change your outer shell and inner shell, you're the last person to notice it. You know, we don't notice when we're gaining weight that often, you know, clothes fit a little bit tighter or whatever, but we adjust. Um, But it's that moment of clarity when you look in a mirror and you see yourself 
in the eyes of somebody else or you see yourself for the first time in a long time. And I remember looking at the mirror horrified for about, I don't know, three, four minutes. And I just, something snapped, a rubber band snapped in my head. It was like, done. I went downstairs. I went to the pantry. I literally threw out all of my favorite foods, you know, the Chips Ahoy, the Oreos, the Lay's barbecue potato chips. None of these people are sponsors, but they should be for the call-outs I'm going to give them. Um, I went into the fridge. I got rid of the ice cream. I got rid of anything. Oh, I had a big addiction to Drake's snack cakes. Um, I, I threw it all out that night. And I started my journey of learning what I needed to do for me. What did I have to do to get to a version of me that I was going to be happy and comfortable with again. So I started looking online. I started trying different things out. I tried high protein, no fat, high protein, low fat, high protein, no sugar, high pro. Notice the common thread of high protein. Protein's always been a, um, a needle mover for me. The higher the protein content and the lower the other contents, the better the results for me. So I went through this, started running every single day. And it's funny, the very first day I went for a run in my mind's eye, I was going to run a 5k because it's only 3.2 miles. I can do 5k. No big deal at all, right? I literally made it about a quarter of a mile at a jog and I was winded. Okay. Hi, I'm a red flag. Have we met? So I decided I'm going to pace myself. If I can do a quarter mile today, then by next week I should be doing a half mile. And the week after that, I should be at three quarters. I I did it in quarter mile increments for running. I ended up running every single day. Um, Over the course of a 12-month period of editing my diet over the course of times, I started, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was counting calories, counting fat, trying new and different things, checking to see when I would get some results. I tried... um, uh, insanity. I tried P90X. P90X, by the way, they, again, not a sponsor, but that is a fucking no joke program to get ripped and learn about nutrition. Um, so I did that. You will hate, hate, and hate is a very strong word that we shouldn't often use in our society, but you will fucking hate Tony Horton, the creator of P90X, during your 90 days of doing this if you follow his diet and exercise program. However, when you are done, you will want to find the man and marry him because the results are indescribable. If you have the mental discipline. And at the time in which I started doing it, which was at the tail end of that one-year journey, I had the the mental discipline to resist the things that would drag my weight or, or plateau my gains. And I'll tell you, that program is a program that I will stand by, at least for me, um, till the day I die. Because at the end of this whole thing, I was back at 180 pounds. I was lean. I was ripped. The keg in the front or the tool shed over the tool had turned back into a six slash eight pack. Um, I felt good. I could run. I was running 10K at that point three times a week. It was an amazing transformation for me. Now, when I've tried to coach people or tell them about my journey, the first thing I preface that whole statement with is you've got to remember this worked for me. I I got to the 
the nano level of understanding my metabolism, the nano level of understanding my hydration needs, the nano level of understanding my exercise component and what exactly was needed, what was unneeded, what was erroneous, what was a necessity. I I dug so deep into the soul of who I am to try to get back to this version of me that I thought was, you know, my sweet spot, so to speak. And case, you know, case be told, I've only in the 10 years since doing that, I've only gained five to eight pounds back. It flexes depending upon what I'm doing. And I'm very sedimentary compared to how I was then. It's just understanding that I can't eat like I'm an athlete. I can't eat anything I want if I'm not an athlete, if I'm more, you know, behind a desk versus out in the field on a daily basis. If I'm not running three days a week and I'm running, you know, three times a month at best, you know, I have to understand what my physical capabilities and physical levels are and how that directly uh, relates to the fuel that I put inside me. So my perception was before the weight loss that I was fine. The reality was that I was borderline obese, you know, here I was in my early 30s and I was I was obese. I, I had a BMI way too high and uh, I needed to fix it. So I made my reality my own by doing the work, making the gains, showing the facts and then proving them out to myself. That was my perception versus reality. But we all deal with perception versus reality every single day in different ways in our lives. And it's it's interesting when we start, you know, looking back at some of the decisions that we've made over the course of our lives, whether they be nominal or impactful, were they reality-based or were they perception-based? I mean, you know, again, spinning the clock back. I can I can think about relationships that ended on perception versus reality. And when we look at our insecurities, you know, that's a great one. If you, you want to find a universal topic that we all can identify with is how do we ah, quantify perception versus reality when it comes to relationships, insecurities? You know, I was insecure about my weight a decade ago and I fixed it. Um, but think about it in, in regards to relationships we have with people on an intimate level, boyfriends and girlfriends. Um, do we ever allow the perception of or the fear in perception of insecurities to lead us towards making decisions based in based on perceptions versus reality. I mean, I think we all can take a moment and think back and go, wow, you know, there were a few times where I made a decision that wasn't necessarily based on fact. It was based on a feeling and my feeling was wrong. Sometimes we make perception-based decisions and they work out. What do we call those? We call those gut you know, our gut was telling us to do that. You know, my gut said to do this. I didn't have a lot of facts behind the decision that I made, but my gut said do it, and it worked out for me. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sail my ship on a gut 
you know, on a gut reaction or a gut feeling. But sometimes, you know, the body is a very, the body and the mind are very interesting components when it comes to decision making. Our minds can, can take us, you know, we'll have instinctual feelings like, ooh, something's, something's aloft, you know, and I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I had a relationship, a very long relationship that, I remember, you know, we were here the last week of July, and I remember that there was a a cookout that I was at with friends and and family, and something was amiss. You know, we all we all have the ability to to fall into patterns, to fall into comfort zones where we we have preconceived expectations as to how things are going to go, and. When something is amiss, something's off, your your gut, your your brain, it, it starts getting a little leery of that, a little suspect of what's going on. And so in this particular instance, I remember being at a cookout and something was off. And I was asking my partner at the time, what was wrong, what was wrong, what was wrong? Because, you know, I'm one of those individuals that I have to know, you know, if something's off, I need to know. And I, you know, kept getting fed the line of BS that, oh, no, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. And then sure enough, within a week of that party, boom, relationship nuclear bomb gets dropped on me. And I realize, wow, my gut, my brain was was dialed in, you know? And sometimes it's because you've been with a person for a long time or been at a job for a long time or or been, you know, in a friendship for a long time that you, you, you know, when something's off and, you know, sometimes you're right about it and sometimes you're wrong. Um, I happen to be right, sadly, but again, there's a reason that things happen. And that's the other topic I want to talk about tonight is reasons. Sometimes the reason we have things happen in our lives are, not known at the time in which they happen. Sometimes they're fully known at the time. I mean, if you look back, sometimes it's in hindsight, sometimes it's in foresight. You know, you'll you'll have something happen to you and you'll go, wow, I never saw that coming. Or wow, I'm surprised that happened when it did because I knew it was coming. Um, I'll give you a, another example of, of, you know, having things happen um, and the reasonings behind it. Sometimes we're working for a company and, you know, say your job ends, you're, you're terminated. A lot of times people know that's coming, you know. It's the rare times that you don't see it coming that tends to leave you a little rattled and a little flat-footed. And if you find yourself in that position, uh, the best advice I can give you is to go out and buy a book. Again, not a sponsor. I just dig the book a lot. But there's a book and it was written by um, a woman named Rhonda Byrne and it's called The Secret. And if you know anything about it, they made a movie out of it. I would not watch the movie. It's a, it's a, it's a horrific one-hour infomercial. It's not the type of book that could ever be translated into a movie for any type of effectiveness. Um, however, the book, which is also available on another non-sponsor, which is audible.com, um, you can purchase the audiobook and have, and she actually narrates her book, which is phenomenal. Um, and it's also sold in hard copy and soft copy. I think there's been about, geez, um, my guess is they've sold 100 million copies or close to it. 
um, the whole antithesis of the book is it's the law of attraction in action. You know, when we want things, we can we can make things happen for ourselves. And when things happen and we we seek a reason behind it, it's best to always look forward and not look back. Because, you know, a great analogy that they put in that book is, case in point, your windshield is infinitely larger than your rear view mirror in your car. And that's because you have a lot in front of you and you don't want to waste your time looking at what happened behind you. So if challenges come your way and you're looking for the reasons behind them, a person can go absolutely mad. A relationship ends, a job ends, a friendship ends. You can go absolutely unexpectedly. I should let me let me preface that. These things all happen unexpectedly. A relationship ends, a job ends, a friendship ends unexpectedly. You can spend some time, especially if you're, you know, programmed similar to me where you need an understanding. You can spend some time trying to find that understanding, but don't let it overtake your overall thought processes, your overall movement forward, because you'll spend so much time looking back and trying to understand and come to an understanding as to why this happened to you, that you'll miss what's in front of you and what's coming down the road. I, I tell the fabulous Kate all the time that I look four feet in front of me at all times. I don't want to look too far out and I never look back. Because the past is the past, people. You can't go back and change anything that's ever happened to you in your life. The one thing you can do, the thing you have control over, is what happens next. And if you can't control what's about to happen to you next, you can for sure fucking handle what's coming at you if you see it coming down the road. So little piece of advice on the the understanding and reasoning of things is don't fry your, your brain thinking about the what ifs, the could ofs, the should ofs. You know, there's a there's a funny line called if ifs and buts were candy and nuts and every day would be Christmas. And it's it's a funny one that's always stuck with me because as stupid a rhyme as it is, it makes absolutely fucking sense. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, then every day would be Christmas. Yeah. If if I go back and go, well, if I did this, you know, but if this happened, well, you know what? They didn't fucking happen, people. You know, there's a reason you're having this conversation, whether it's in your head or with another person talking about your ifs and buts, you know, but if I had put in more effort, but if there was a different outcome, but if I could, you know, fuck it. At the end of the day, you want to look forward. You want to see what's coming at you. You want to handle that. You know, the best prepared people are people that never dwell on the past. They learn from their past. And I can't emphasize, and that's our next topic, is learning from these things. I can't emphasize enough the power of lessons that can be taught. You know, so something happens unexpectedly in your life. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to fucking crawl in a hole and cry and bury yourself in a in a gallon of ice cream, you know, sometimes it's very cathartic to do that for, you know, a day or two or three. While you kind of come to grips with this, you have a funeral, a, a, a proverbial funeral in your brain for the event that has, you know, rattled you, the the event that has caught you flat-footed. So what is the next step? The next step is putting it to bed, giving it its due, and then moving on. Moving on is so important because it 
sets you up for that next win that's just around the corner. And how many times have we heard people say, or, you know, whether they be somebody giving a fucking TED talk or somebody on a news channel, somebody on a television, hell, I'll even give, not that I've listened to them, but I'm sure evangelicals do it all the time too. You you have this belief that if if you can see what's coming and and put the past to bed, you're in a great position to handle what's coming in the future. And when you are open to that, and you have given, you know, that thought, that past, that funeral, that, that, that understanding and reasoning, and you have that, there are lessons to glean from it. You can, you can take lessons. You know, I, I know that in the different positions that I've had, whether they be in the food industry or, you know, well, primarily they've been in the food industry and I've owned my own companies. But even when I was owning my own company, there were lessons to be learned. There were opportunities missed. And when those opportunities were missed, some of them were extremely lucrative opportunities when I owned my company. Opportunities to grow exponentially that I passed on because I didn't feel at that moment in time when the opportunity had presented itself that I was ready to capitalize on it. Um, looking back, I could, I could spend, I could go insane thinking about the money that was lost or the, the glory, the, the, the next level of success that was lost. But instead, what, what did I do? I put my nose to the grindstone and made sure that I was available to capture the next good thing that was coming down the pike for me. The lesson that I learned from that, I could pay forward into other positions. So when I sold my company, I, I went to another company and and when I was at that company I took the lessons from owning my company the lessons from my previous positions that were you know before becoming a professional so working at like a Dunkin Donuts or a or a pizza joint you there are lessons to take there's work ethic to learn and you can pay those forward into your next positions and what you're doing is over the course of your life you're you're building a bank of experiences to draw from when adversity hits you down the line. And one of the things that I'm a big proponent for is taking your lessons with you. You know, everybody thinks that the job that they get, that they love the first day that they start is going to be the first day of the last job that they have for the rest of their lives. Newsflash, that's a fucking joke. It's a fairy tale. That's two generations ago, factory working, textile people. That's coal miners. That's, you know what I mean? That's not your prototypical 21st century business professional. Um, You want to find a career overall career path to follow for sure but an individual company that's going to be your forever company unless you're working for the u.s government or right out of college you become the ceo of a large corporation there's a very high probability that you are going to cycle through many jobs in your adult life and that's okay we've been fed This belief structure from when I was a child that you find a place and make that place your own and and you know hopefully if you do your job and you keep your nose clean you'll retire in 35 40 years and be a happy person into retirement blah 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 bullshit bull fucking shit at the end of the day 
It's your job as a professional to always find your best opportunity for growth. So if you're in a company that starts out gangbusters, you think you found the end, you know, your end game. This is this is the one. And then two years down the road, there's an opportunity for you to better your position within your career to grow as a professional. You best take that friggin' opportunity. There were lessons that you learned over the course of the previous two years that you can bring forth to a new position and outshine your current productivity for another company. There's, there are so many opportunities available to us in a relationship. If you're in a dead-end relationship, you've been with the same person for a couple of years, and it's not going anywhere. It's comfortable. It's vanilla ice cream. It's smooth. It's peaceful, but it's unfulfilling, then you have to have some serious conversations with yourself about where exactly is this going? Have I reached my optimum level of happiness? Because ultimately, as people, we are constantly seeking the things that make us happy, the things that make us feel better, the things that that sustain us. And if you're in a relationship and you're not being sustained, get the fuck out. Don't be afraid to make that jump. I'm divorced and remarried, okay? So living proof right there. I was in a marriage for 15 years. It was wonderful. It was horrible. It was everything in between, and that's okay. And when it ended, there was sadness. But in hindsight, I needed the experiences. I needed the, 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 the... I don't know, the lessons that were learned to bring forward to the next relationship that I was in. And that relationship was with the fabulous Kate. And I got married in November. Life is so much better. It's in, I'm in a different place maturity-wise. I'm in a different place uh, financially, in a different place in, in status in life. It, all the stars lined up because there was a leap of faith that had to be taken to go to that next level of happiness. We all have that. When you're in school, I'll give you a case in point. My oldest son was in an, was in honors level classes uh, for his sophomore, freshman and sophomore years of high school. And going into his junior year this year, he, they weren't, you know, was he passing? Sure. But they weren't fulfilling to him. He wasn't really, wasn't gaining what he needed from him, his 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 path that he wants to pursue, it took us a, a slight change from where it started in ninth grade. Because like, who the fuck knows what they want to be when they grow up when they're in ninth grade? Hell, I know people in their 40s that don't know what they want to be when they grow up. So he decided to go down from honors level to A-level classes. And you know what? The level of happiness, the stress relief that I saw in my son from the day he made that decision, and he's made two major decisions like that so far in his young, his young life, the, the stress relief was immense. He, he kind of opened up a little bit, came out of his shell. He, he took a leap. He took a risk. There's a risk, mind you, in dumping out of an honors level class into an A-level class, depending upon where your secondary education goals are. But for him... What was most important was his level of happiness. He knows that he can still go to a four-year school with his eyes closed in A-level classes. It was if you want to get into select elite four-year schools, you're going to need the honors level classes. But 
as he kind of progresses through high school, he's realizing, I don't really need to go to an Ivy League school. I don't need to go to a Brown, to a Yale, to a Princeton, to a Harvard, to an MIT or a Caltech. That's not his trajectory. If it's yours, well, then stick with it, kitten. You're going to get there eventually. Um, I alluded to it being his second. His first was a very, very awesome moment as a parent for me because it it provided a teaching moment. We were sitting on the uh, couch or we were doing something and it was coming up on time to try out uh, or to sit or to fill out the sheets for freshman uh, baseball tryouts. And, you know, to know me is to know I've coached my son since he was five years old in baseball, uh, coached him through all of his town levels into Babe Ruth. He also played in AAU. He's a pitcher, um, an outfielder and a left side of the infield infielder and excelled basically in left field as well as on the mound. And, I was pushing him to fill out the application for the tryout. And, you know, after a week or so of him not doing it, he he approached me. He took that leap. He took that that grab your balls or grab your giny and make a decision type moment. Pull your you know, pull your panties up and put your pants on and make a make a choice. And he said to me, he said, Dad, um, would you be okay if I didn't play baseball anymore? And there was a long pause on my end. And I thought about it. And I said, um, is the game not fun for you anymore? And what broke my heart was he said, Dad, the game hasn't been fun for me for a couple of years, but I've been playing because I think you want me to play. And I said, okay, now I need you to sit down on the couch. We need to have a conversation. And he said, well, what's the conversation about? And I said, Tim, the first lesson of parenting is that it's never, ever, ever about me. It's always and always has been, always will be from now until the dawn of time. It's about you. It's about your happiness, what you gain from it. I don't need you to play freshman baseball or high school baseball. I did, but I don't need you to. I still play baseball. I play in a competitive over 38-year-old wood bat nine-inning two-wump league in my home state. That's what I do. Do you know why? Because when I step on that fucking grass, I become a 12-year-old again, and I love, love, love baseball. But the key word there is I. I love it. If you don't love it, you don't have to play. Again, to watch that proverbial weight leave his shoulders was probably one of the proudest moments I've had to date as a parent because I was able to to enlighten him into the thought processes of a parent. And I'm sure, remember, I've coached for a long time. I don't think, I know that there are parents out there that think that their child is the next Ezekiel Elliott on the gridiron, is the next, you know, Lionel Messi of the, the pitch, the next Bryce Harper of the diamond. You know, I know that those, the next Tom Brady of the, the, of the NFL, I get it. But you ask yourself, are you doing it for you or does your kid really, really, really want it? Because more often than not, the most aggressive parents in youth sports are those of the kids that are kind of what I call middlings. Not the best players, not the worst players. They're just, they're middlings. They're somewhere in the middle. They're good players. And I've seen many a kid 
dropped baseball over my coaching career, not because he didn't like the game, but because the parents were too involved, too deep. You know, the parents that are calling balls and strikes from the stands off the first base side because they somehow have a really good line of sight on their left-handed batter or the guys on the right-handed, you know, on a, for a right-handed batter sitting on the third base side. I, I've, I've witnessed it. I've watched it. It's, it's horrific. And as a coach, we used to have a conversation with the parents before every season about, you know, respecting the umpires. These, you know, we don't have the best umpires in youth baseball, um, but they're doing their best. They're out there to officiate a game. And, you know, it's my job as a coach to talk to the umpires in between innings, not during the course of play. There were a few horrific plays that I I can think of that literally can close my eyes, smell the grass, and and be right in the play that transpired and go, son of a bitch, what the fuck was he looking at? You know, I, I'm standing over here and I saw that play. You know, the guy was clearly out at first or the guy was clearly out at second. But at the end of the day, I have to set an example. I have 15 kids on my team. If they see their coach being a total douchebag, what lesson am I teaching them? I'm teaching them to be a douchebag or to whine and cry if you don't get your way. You know, there's a time and a place to have that discussion. Then I always address my team after the game. You know, I'd I'd circle in the book, the play, and when we'd have our post-game, you know, rundown of the game, I'd say, hey, listen, guys, I want you to know, I saw that, and I talked to the ump in between the innings. This is what he or she saw that caused them to make that call on the field. Was it right? No, it was wrong. However, it's a judgment call. It was their call to make. Can you imagine if that transferred into life? If every move you made in your professional life or in a relationship was questioned? Oh my God, I'd lose my fucking mind. I really would. But... So I guess that's all I got for tonight's episode. I mean, I'm at the 45-minute mark. We've covered perception versus reality. We've covered lessons. We've covered, um, you know, the the lessons are a big piece. You know, you can dwell on things that go negative, but ideally, at the end of the day, take the lesson as a lesson learned. Stay on the positive vibe because I can't emphasize it enough, you know, the support of others. It's so easy to go negative. We can we can go ballistic when something goes wrong in our lives. We can lose our shit. And you know, I, I, I'm I'm no I'm no fucking saint. You know, we all have moments where we get fired up. You know, and you want to just you're out for blood. And it's taking a couple of minutes. However, you do it. You know, I have an app on my my Apple Watch that oddly seems to know when it's time for Jojo to take a breath and the breathe app will come up and say, you know, it's a one minute app and it's a breathing exercise. I do it. And oddly, I can't explain it. It calms me down. Maybe yoga is your thing. You know, baseball for me on the weekends is a great stress reliever during the spring and summer. Um, Sometimes I play fall ball too. It really depends. But needless to say, find your outlet for your stresses. Find your outlet for your um, challenges, whether they be in relationships, interpersonal relationships, friendships, uh, family relations, or or even in your your work life, find your zone. And 
know when or work on, make it a plan to work on the things that you have control over. You have control over how you react to things. You have control over what you do when things don't go your way. You have control over what the next step is going to be. You may not have control over the incident. You may not have control over the outcome of a particular you know, traumatic event, whatever it be, you lose your job, you lose your girlfriend, boyfriend, your marriage fails, you know, your kid thinks you're a dickhead, your friend, for some reason, you know, is has a perception that you're not a good friend, whatever it might be, understand that you can't change that in other people. All you can control is how you act and react. That's important. It's something, you know, this whole fucking episode has been one giant PSA or one one fucking one to grow on. Um, But at the end of the day, it's true. And, And you can't put a value on it. It's invaluable. It is one of those precious things in life that like weight loss, like dealing with people in your relations, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes trial and error. So, Thanks for listening. Uh, I know I've been a little sporadic this summer. Fucking forgive me. I like the beach. I like to to travel. I like to have fun when the weather's nice. Um, whenever I fill out those stupid fucking surveys, I always say summer's my favorite season. It is. Um, to know me is to know that at some point in life when I'm eligible to retire, I will be moving to an island nation somewhere in the Caribbean and living out my days there where it's summer all fucking year long. Um, It's my favorite time of the year. So I've been a little laxing with my uh, podcasting, but I'm sure that that's going to be picking up. Kids go back to school for me at the end of the month. Um, One of those things, you know, hey, the content I provide is fucking strong every time I provide it. So keep listening. Hit subscribe. Um, Again, check me out on iTunes, TuneIn, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, radio.com and wherever the fuck else I end up. Um, I'm really enjoying this ride. I'm getting a lot of feedback. I implore you, please keep emailing me at braindroppingspod uh, at, sorry, braindroppingspod at gmail.com. Braindroppingspod at gmail.com. Um, I've been getting some phenomenal show ideas, uh, some good guest request ideas. Keep it coming. Uh, I read them all. I try to respond to them as often as I can. Um, this has been a really fun ride for me since I started doing it, and I'm not going to be stopping anytime soon. So keep listening. Subscribe. Uh, if you have an Amazon-enabled uh, device, simply say, Alexa, play Brain Droppings podcast on TuneIn or and she will play me. Till the next episode, take care, be kind, and don't forget that it's not a bad thing to occasionally do something for the person in the drive-thru behind you. I try to do it once a week. I implore you, give it a shot. You'll feel good. And even if you don't, one day, karma will find you, and it'll do it for you. I'm Joe Show. Thanks for listening to the Brain Droppings Podcast. I'll see you later. Peace.